0: Series. And so today, we're going to start a brand new series, and this, is, this series is going to carry us right up until Easter. And the series, the title of it is just, it's Spiritual Formation, and that might be a new term for you, and so I'm hoping to explain a little bit about what Spiritual Formation is. But I want you to know, as we, as we jump into this series, every sermon, there should be a goal. So if you've listened to people give sermons... Uh, in the past, uh, you've probably noticed that there's usually a goal. Like the sermon has some sort of a goal. The person delivering the sermon has a desire, some kind of truth they want to get across or some outcome they want to see happen. And I just want to tell you right from the start the goal of this whole series. Okay, so the, this series is going to take us to Easter. And the desire in my heart and in our heart as a church is that we would be a community of people that love Jesus with all of our heart. But secondly, okay, so this is the the other side of this goal. Uh, Growing up, I heard a lot about loving Jesus and how important that is. But then, like, the question that comes to my mind, I'm a very practical person, is, well, what does that actually look like when I'm living my life? Like, when I'm studying at school, when I'm with my friends, when I'm trying to pay bills. Um, Now I'm a dad, I've got six kids. Like, Like, what does it actually look like in real life to love Jesus? I mean, I know, like, the idea is true, and if you're a follower of Jesus today, you probably go, yes, we're supposed to love Jesus, right? Like, that's kind of uh, common knowledge. But what does it actually look like to love Jesus in a practical way? And my goal, the desire of this, is that we'll come out of this with some practical steps of what it looks like to actually love Jesus. And I'm convinced that... Loving Jesus and serving him, it's not, it's not something that's set apart for, like, these spiritual elites. It's for moms, and it's for dads, and it's for uncles, and it's for people who play chess, and it's for people who don't know what chess is, and it's for people who have jobs, and it's for people who don't have jobs. Like, it's for everyone. And, and I really believe that it is the desire of, uh, in the heart of God that, that we, his followers, would know what it looks like to follow him in very practical ways. And, and this is my prayer. And I've been praying more. I've been challenged this past fall. I was really challenged to spend more time praying for us as a congregation and for, for you by name. And, and the, the prayer that I, I find myself praying for people when, when your names come to my mind is, is this. Lord, I pray for an ever-increasing sense of your presence and an increased ability to hear your voice. So if I'm praying for you, if your name is the name that I'm praying for on whatever particular day, that's my prayer. My prayer would be, Lord, I pray for Stephanie that she would have an ever-increasing sense of your presence and an increased ability to hear your voice. That's, that is the desire um, in my heart, but I also believe it's the desire of God's heart for his people, that we would just be aware of his presence, but then we'd also have this like, increased ability to actually hear what he's saying. Right, like so. It's not just this like idea that like you you hear you know we, we all know we're supposed to hear God's voice, but we would become confident that we're hearing His voice and then doing the things that He says. Like that is so vital and so important. And so uh, today I'm just going to introduce this series, the the this this topic of spiritual formation, and I want to encourage you over the next uh, several weeks. This is going to carry us the next three months to really plug in because every week is going to be, uh, we're going to take a look at one of the spiritual disciplines, and there's going to be practical steps of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus and to put that into practice. And so I'm just going to pray uh, that we will hear the Lord and that we'll be challenged with what it looks like to follow him. So let's let's pray together. Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for every single person that is here today. Um, and I just pray, Lord, that over the next few months that we would have an ever-increasing sense of your presence and that you would give us an increased ability to hear your voice and that we would learn practical ways to actually practice our faith, things that that make sense for us that live busy lives, for us that face multiple challenges in a day, that we would learn what it looks like to serve you in practical ways and that our relationship with you would become the most important relationship in our life. And Lord, for those that that are here, that are tuning in, that uh, are not followers of you. I just pray, Jesus, that they would sense your presence and feel uh, drawn into this relationship with you that you've made available to everybody who breathes oxygen. And so, Lord, would you be at work in ways that we can't possibly uh, do in our own strength? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by telling you two stories that set this up, that set up this this conversation that we're going to have about spiritual formation. And just so you know, the first story. I'm going to change the name of the person uh, because this person and the other person that's involved uh, are still alive and I want to protect uh, their identity. But um, So I'm going to tell you uh, about a a lady named Lisa that I worked with 12 years ago. And I worked with her at the ministry that my dad started on the East Coast, and it was a, a homeless shelter, and it was also a drug recovery program. And at the time, around 12 years ago, I was working in the homeless shelter, which we had two separate shelters. We had one for women and one for men. And so uh, we had this client, this guest, that would come to the women's shelter. Her name was Tracy. And Tracy was, like, a very challenging person. And so she, she had a really severe battle with mental illness. And when she came in, our staff just didn't know, like, how to help her. Everybody wanted to help, but people just didn't know how. And it was to the point where... Like, sometimes she would, like, smear blood on the walls. Like, just stuff that it would freak people out. They didn't know how to handle, handle her. And so I was one of the people in charge at the shelter at the time. And I felt like I was in way over my head. And so I did my best to help Tracy to serve and to love her. And one of the people on our, our staff team, Lisa, she had this, like, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Like, you ever get around somebody where, where they, like, when they talk about Jesus... There's just, like, you get this feeling that they know him. Like, you can almost see it. Like, you can see a glow, and you can see a light in them. This, that, was, that was Lisa. Lisa had this, like, presence about her where you could just see. It was, like, tangible. Her love for Jesus was, was something palpable. You could feel it. You could sense it. You could see it. And, and Lisa started to develop a relationship with Tracy. And after a couple weeks, she started bringing Tracy to her house uh, for like meals and she'd have her over there and hang out with her and spend time with her. And then eventually her and her husband invited Tracy to even spend the night at her house. And so you gotta remember this this Tracy girl was somebody that nobody knew like how to deal with her. Everybody was intimidated, kind of overwhelmed, not sure how to, and people were freaked out. Some of the other guests that stayed in the shelter were freaked out by Tracy, didn't know how to, how to deal with like what they were seeing. And, and Lisa just like, had this incredible love for her and took her under her wing. And over the course of a few months, I watched Tracy transform. Like she became, you couldn't have a conversation with Tracy. Like when she came, like we would do our best to serve her. We would do our best to help her, but like you couldn't really talk to her. She wasn't in a state where she could do that. But over like the course of a few months, I watched a transformation happen in Tracy. Like you could have a conversation with her. And she ended up, and I forget where she ended up getting sent to, but Lisa helped her get into some kind of a program where she was able to go and get some help. And it was mind-blowing to me to watch, like, Lisa just, she had this, like, like, Jesus was more to her than just somebody she worshiped on a Sunday and read about in the morning for her morning quiet time. Like, Jesus was this presence in her life that changed the way she interacted with people. It changed the way that she prayed. It changed the way that she interacted with, with the world. And it had a huge impact on me. Uh, Second person I want to tell you about, and I will use her her real name, her name is Elsie Walker, Uh, and probably about 35 years ago or so, uh, she was, Elsie was going to church one day, and Elsie was a widow, she had five children. And her husband had died many years before, and most of her children were grown at this point in the story. And so Elsie was at church, like you are this morning, and she was sitting there, and the chaplain from the local prison was challenging people in the church. He was saying, you know, God has called me to serve in the maximum security prison uh, just outside of Moncton, and I want to encourage whoever the Lord is prompting to get involved. And Elsie, she's a widow uh, with five, she's raised five children on her own. And she was hearing this chaplain thinking, obviously he's not talking to me. I have no experience with dealing with people in prison. Like, I have no concept of what that life is like. And so she went home. But she just kept hearing the Holy Spirit tell her, I want you to respond. I want you to go and volunteer in the maximum security prison. And so uh, eventually she did. And she started serving at the, at the chapel there. And God was using her in pretty significant ways. And she developed a relationship uh, with this inmate where she just really felt like God wanted to show love to this guy. And so when he got released from the maximum security prison, she gave him the keys to her home, and she said, whenever you, you know, are, are in need of a place, like you can come to, to my place, and, and I'll take care of you. Well, he stole from her. like He ripped off her stuff. I don't know how much stuff he took or how much it was worth, but he ripped, it, he ripped her off and um, took off, and I don't know if she ever saw him again. And for whatever reason, God, like, just was doing this deep work in Elsie's heart. And so instead of growing bitter and angry, she just continued to, uh, to serve at the chapel and show the love of Jesus. Uh, and sometime later, she developed another relationship with an inmate, and she felt the Holy Spirit prompt her, I want you to do the same thing for this guy again. And so she did. And the second person she did that for was my dad. And when he was here, I think it was a few months ago, he told the story about this lady, Elsie, who supported him. I think it might have been at our overcomers night. I don't think he shared it on the Sunday morning. Um, But she had this huge, profound impact on his life because he had believed this lie when he got out of maximum security prison. You know, all these Christians are coming into the jail and of course they tell me Jesus loves me and they're, you know, accepting of me. But when I get out, who's really going to trust me? Like, who's actually going to trust a guy that's getting out of maximum security prison for the kind of stuff that I did? Well, when Elsie uh, showed him love and grace and gave him keys to her home, it rocked him. And she was a part of the reason that my parents ended up meeting and getting married, and she was part of that whole story. Well, she had this profound impact on his life. And, and these two women, when I was getting ready to talk about spiritual formation, I wanted to open with their stories because they, they both represent, like, what I believe, if, we're, if you're a Jesus lover... The longing in your heart is not not just to be somebody who like you know you believe in him and you carry on with life as normal, but actually that you become like Jesus. Like that's the whole point of of following Jesus. Like when, when you surrender your life to him and he becomes your Lord and Savior, something changes and he starts to change your heart so that you become more like him. Uh one of the the, the book we're gonna use and I've encouraged people uh, to read is, is a, a book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, and he, he talks about the disciplines. And uh, we're going to put this quote up on the, the screen. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instra- instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. You catch that? This desperate need for today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The two stories that I shared at the beginning, okay, about Lisa and Elsie, like these two women had a profound impact on my faith journey because when I think about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, there's this temptation in me to think that it means becoming really smart, right? And if you've been around church long enough, sometimes you get the idea that if you know a whole bunch of the Bible, that's kind of the point. The end goal is to be really smart and intelligent. But if you read actually the message of of the scriptures and what it's getting across to us, the point isn't to become super intelligent and smart. It's to be deep. It's to have this, this presence of God within you so much so that it actually has an impact on your relationships with other people, how you interact with the world, how you respond to being ripped off. You know, the thing that, that I love about Lisa's story and Elsie's story is that what both of those women did, it, like, they would have been told by a lot of people in the world, don't do that. Like, don't put yourself out there. Don't, you know, make sure you've got, you know, the proper boundaries in place so that people don't get in and don't hurt you. Like, like what they did kind of went against what we're taught when we think in terms of how the world teaches us to think but these women had this like relationship with Jesus that actually changed the way that they interacted with people it actually changed the way they interacted when they were ripped off you know most of us when we're when we're ripped off or we're stabbed in the back like when we're, when wrong is done there's this temptation for us to recoil and to just get bitter and hardened but when you listen to what Jesus talks about, like something changes when you live a life of complete surrender to him because you, you don't give in to this hardening of the heart. You, you give in to the softening of the heart because of what Jesus is doing inside of you. And it changes the way that you respond to, to being ripped off, to tragedies, to difficulties, to challenges. It's incredible, and so the, these two stories are, are like uh, examples of like I, I believe that it, it is the desire of everybody who's a follower of Jesus to become more like Him, and I, and, and that's the desire of this this series that we're we're in called spiritual formation. So uh, we're going to turn to scripture. We're just going to read one verse today, and it's in Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. It'll be up on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible, or you can read it on the screen. So. Uh, Galatians, this is written by the Apostle Paul, and I'll, I'm going to tell a little bit of his story just briefly, but I want to focus in on, this is probably the most famous verse in the book of Galatians, but I want to focus in on it because it kind of sets up the, uh, the trajectory of where we're headed for, for this series, Spiritual Formation. Paul says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is, this is Paul's testimony. And, and you have to know that the book of Galatians is a very angry version of the apostle Paul. Of all of the books that Paul wrote, and he wrote uh, multiple letters in the New Testament, okay, 13 letters, of all of the books that he wrote, Galatians by far is the angriest. He's really angry. And the reason why is because the people he's writing to in, in Galatia, they had experienced the gospel. Like, they had been told about Jesus, and they, they were told this gospel message. They were told, if you put your faith in Jesus, he will come in and live inside of you, and he will transform you from the inside out. You don't have to worry about trying to be a moral person. You don't have to worry about trying to follow the law. Like, when Jesus comes inside of you and you surrender to him, he will come in. He'll live inside of you. He'll change the way that you think. He'll change the way that you react. Like, he'll do the work inside of you if you just trust and surrender to him. That's what the Galatians were told, and they accepted it. But then these false teachers came in after Paul, and they started telling people, well, if you really want to follow Jesus well, you've got to be more intellectual and smart. And you've got to have the laws, all of the laws of the Old Testament. You've got to have them memorized, and you've got to do those laws. And you've got to do all the things that the Old Testament says to the letter. And, and if you don't, you're out. You're done. And, and they started trying to like convince the Galatians to go back to law and Paul is angry cuz he's saying what have you he, at one point in there he says oh foolish galatians like he's angry he's saying why are you turning back to, to moralism why are you trying back to trying to turning back to do things in your own strength when when you've been believe you've believed the message of the gospel that Jesus will come and live on the inside of you and he'll change your heart you don't have to try in your own strength to follow the law when god changes your heart you'll do it because of a love for him not going to because of not out of guilt or shame or because somebody else is trying to force you it's going to happen because God has radically changed your heart. And so he's angry, and he's, and he's rebuking them. And he, uh, in, in the verse that we're focusing on, he's saying, uh, and let me just read it one more time. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and here's the question I want to ask you and I this morning as, as a church, as a community of people here in Thunder Bay. Can, can you read that sentence? And is that sentence your testimony? That's really what Paul is getting at with the people in Galatia. He's, he's sharing with them, this is my experience now because of Jesus. And his desire for those people is that it would become their experience, that that they would also be able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the question that I have for us, as we think about spiritual formation, is, is that sentence your testimony? Like, are you able to say that with conviction? Here's what I know about uh, when Paul wrote this. When Paul wrote Galatians, do do you think, I'm I'm looking for an answer, do you think he was alive or dead? Alive, right? Like, he, he didn't write this from the grave, right? Like, it's not like he wrote this after he was with Jesus in heaven and then sent the letter back to earth, right? Like, he was alive when he wrote this. And so, what that says is that Paul is giving us an example of what it looks like to actually live our lives for Jesus in the here and now. He, he wrote this letter, specifically this, these couple sentences, he wrote it while he was alive. And so my question for, for us, when I read this, I go, Lord, can, can I live that way? And the answer, by the way, is in my own strength, absolutely not. And, that, and Paul would agree But you've got to catch what Paul is saying here. He's saying, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So as we, as followers of Jesus, as we surrender to Jesus and he becomes not just our Savior but our Lord and we live by faith in him, he starts to change our hearts and our minds and he changes us from the inside out. And those stories that I told at the beginning about Lisa and Elsie, like we get to experience the Jesus life in us. And and we get to experience the Jesus life in us in the here and now. And so I want to give you just a bit of an overview of where we're headed uh, over the next few months. So the, uh, and I've encouraged people, there's a slide up here, and you don't have to, to buy the book, and I don't recommend books a whole lot, but I, in the email um, the last couple weeks I've sent out a link to this, and uh, it's called Celebration of Discipline. Uh, when I was in Bible school, this was a book we had to read for our spiritual formation class, and It was really impactful to me back then. And I'm currently doing some more studies. I'm doing some master's studies. And so um, for those studies in seminary, we have to do spiritual formation again. And this was a book that we had to read again. And I got to this and was like, it wasn't one of those experiences for me where I go, oh, I've already read that. I have to read it again. I was excited to dive into it again. And this second time, um, which was this past fall, was even more impactful for me. And as I read it, I was like, man... I think all of us as Jesus followers need to dive into this, this material because it's a practical guide to what it looks like to just practice the, the life of following Jesus. And so uh, I encourage you, it, and if you don't have the book, you don't read it, you, you'll be fine to track with the, the sermon series. But if you want to do uh, a little bit of a deeper dive, I encourage you to get a hold of that. There's Kindle, there's Audible, or you can, you can order a, a paper copy. But it's, it's really, really good. And here's, here's a bit of the, uh, the outline. So, next slide, uh, Jacob. There's, uh, these are the 12 disciplines we're going to dive into. And we're just going to do one each week over the next few months. And uh, we're going to do a deep dive into each one. Um, but the, the disciplines are split up into three categories. The inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. And so, um, that kind of gives you an idea of where we're headed. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, Solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And and here's what I want you to know. The the thing that excites me about this material is that I think for a lot of us, when we hear about uh, people that are following Jesus in really significant ways, we automatically think, yeah, they're different than me. Like, I can't do that, and we have a list of reasons why. But the scriptures make it so clear that the life of, in Jesus is for every follower of Jesus, even people that are really busy with work, really busy with family, people that travel a lot, like it is for everyone. And, and the, the testimony of Paul in Galatians 2:20, when he says, "It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me," that, uh, that's like a model of what it's supposed to be like for all of us who are followers of Jesus where we get to this point in our walk with Christ where we say, it's, it's not me anymore, it's Jesus. And, and you'll notice that, by the way. If you, when you get around somebody, you know, I, I open with those two stories of those two ladies. When you get around somebody who has that, that kind of palpable relationship with Jesus and you start to compliment them or you say something about what they're doing, they're so quick to point to Jesus. They're so quick to say, no, no, that's not me. You don't understand. Like I was terrible and God did a work in me. You know, most of the people that, that have had an impact on my, my journey with Jesus, like, I, when I read their stories and I listen to them and I, and I ask them questions, you know, some of them I know personally, some of them I've read their books, whatever, like, consistently, one of the things I hear is people often talk about how much of a mess they were and then Jesus did something in their heart and started to do the impossible and, and then there was a change that happened that they couldn't take credit for. And I believe that that, that, that possibility, that uh, hope is for all of us. And so uh, I want to differentiate, and this isn't going to be on the screen, but just as we think about this, I want to differentiate between salvation and sanctification, okay? So salvation is not, it's not something that you can earn. When, you're, when Jesus saves you, when he does the, the salvation work in your life to, to restore you to re- relationship with God, he does all of the work, Okay? It's what he did on the cross, and Jesus makes it so clear that when we put our faith in him, that he comes in, he changes us, and he makes us right with God because of what he's done. Okay? So it's, it's the work of God. Sanctification is what we're talking about. When I'm talking about spiritual formation, we're, we're talking about sanctification. And sanctification is the work of God in us, and it's the process by which God shapes us into the image of Jesus. Okay? So sanctification is, is the work of God. So when, when somebody experiences Jesus, when they, when they get saved, when, when he brings them into his family, he, he does all that work. He reveals himself to you and you accept him. And then there's this process from the moment you give your life to Jesus, there's a process of sanctification that is a daily walk with God where he actually makes you more and more like him. And all of us, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in this process of sanctification, and you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I've always struggled. I've, like, the question that I have often is, well, how much of this, like, sanctification work is God, and how much of it is me? Like, that, that's a struggle for me. I'm like, so it, all the change that happens, is that, like, is it God that does that? Or, or is there a role for me to play in this sanctification process? And, and there is a role... That you and I, like, God does this incredible, miraculous, changing work in our heart, but you and I are responsible to bring ourselves to Him, to live in submission to Him, and to put ourselves in a place where He can do the life changing work. In Galatians 6 8, this will be up on the screen. So a few chapters later in the book of Galatians, Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life, okay? Richard Foster says that the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So uh, what Paul was talking about in in Galatians, he uses this analogy of a farmer, okay? And I want you to think about your walk with Jesus similar to a farmer sowing seed in the field. When When a farmer wants to plant grain and cause grain to grow so that he can make money and sell it. The farmer can collect the seed. The farmer can prepare the ground. The farmer can make sure that the ground has openings so that the seed will go into the ground. And then the farmer can go sow the seeds. But then after that, there's like, the farmer cannot cause grain to grow. Only God can cause grain to grow. And it's kind of a mystery. Like when you put a seed in the ground, it, it's this mystery how, like, how a seed goes from being a little seed into grain or into an apple tree or an orange tree. Like I don't know if you ever looked at a seed and thought like, how in the world does that become a tree? Like you ever done that? Maybe it's just me. Like I, sometimes I look at seeds and I'm like how, like, how does this become this like fully blossomed tree of some sort or grain? Like it just blows my mind right? And and your journey of spiritual formation is similar to the to what it looks like for a farmer to, to sow seeds in the ground. Like, the farmer has these responsibilities to go and do all of this stuff, but the growth, the change, it's up to God. And it's similar, like, when, it, when we we're talking about the disciplines, like, you and I can, there's actually practical things we can do in our walk with Jesus to put us into this position where we begin to experience God. So you you can't, when, when, you know, those two stories I told at the beginning about Lisa and Elsie, you can't walk out of here today if you're a person that's, maybe you have a hard heart or a bitter heart, or maybe you've got addictions that you're battling, or you just, you hear those stories and you're like, yeah, it sounds nice, but I'm no saint. That's impossible, okay? So you can't walk out of here today by your own will and force yourself to be something that you're not. But, the scriptures make it clear we can, we can put ourselves into a position where God can begin to change our hearts and our minds. We can actually practice things like fasting and prayer and meditation and confession and celebration. Like these, these disciplines we're going to get into are actually practical things we can do where we're like, it's like we're that farmer that's out preparing the ground, right? And we're buying the seed and we're, we're making sure that the ground is, is open enough that it can receive the seed. And then we're going to water it, like we're going we're gonna to do all that stuff and then, and then we're going to trust for God to do the changing. But I would, I would say that probably a lot of us in our walk with Jesus, we, we, we haven't put the effort forward to practice things like, like fasting or prayer or prayer. Or, or study or confession or celebration, right? Maybe for a lot of us, like we go to church and we try to read our Bible once in a while and then we're just not getting to where we want to go as far as like experiencing the heart change. And, and what, I, what I desire from this, this series as we dive into it is that we'll actually have some practical things we can put into practice where we're like putting ourselves in the place where God can do a transforming, life-changing life changing work of spiritual formation in us. I'm going to give, uh, I had two examples, but I'll just, I'll just give one. And I've, I've used this before because it's, it's something that I experienced here. Um, and Donna and Dennis aren't here this morning, but I've asked them for permission to share this. Donna and Dennis uh, Hartman, they come here sometimes. Uh, and Dennis, if you know Dennis Hartman, he, if you look closely uh, uh, at his left hand, he uh, he was in a trucking accident and he lost the the his ring finger on his left hand. Okay, like completely got it cut off. And what the doctor did was she she took his pinky finger, took it out of its socket, and then put it over into the socket of his ring finger on his left hand because. Apparently, that's better. Like, if you have the, the ring finger missing, that's not good. But if you move your pinky over, it just makes it better for, like, being able to, like, move your hand and hold on to things and stuff like that, right? So anyways, Dennis was, was telling me this one day. And, and all I could, like, the, 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 the process of spiritual formation just was, like, flooded my mind. Because I started thinking about that surgeon, right? So the surgeon who did that, like, she went to work that day. And she took somebody's pinky out of its socket and she moved it over to the other socket on, like, beside it so that this guy would have more mobility and an easier life. And I got thinking about the surgeon. like, At what point did she decide she wanted to be a surgeon? It was probably in high school or like, just after where she started thinking she wanted to be a doctor. And, and if you would have asked her when she was in grade 11 if she could go in to work and, and like, take somebody's pinky out of its socket and put it over into the other socket, she'd have been like, no, Right? And if you were the one that needed that surgery, would you trust somebody in grade 11 to like <laughs> take the pinky out? Like if they didn't have the training, right? And so I thought like, I was thinking about the process she went through. It took years for her to get to the point where she was able to do that really complex surgery. And, and it's probably as far as surgeries go, moving a pinky over to the next socket isn't one of the most complex surgeries that there is, right? So for certain, that's probably one that, you know, it's, it's like kind of middle of the road. It's not like a super complex or crazy one. But it would have taken years to get to that, that process. And I was like, and it really encouraged me in my walk with Jesus because I, I hear stories like the ones I told you at the start of this uh, sermon about people like Lisa um, and Elsie. And I hear those stories and I go like, that just feels so far away. Like, do, do you get that? Like, maybe maybe for you, uh, there's a battle in your life. Like it's a severe battle with an addiction. Or maybe there's just some things going on in your family where you just, you can't get past the rage or the bitterness or the anger in your heart. Or maybe it's a severe battle with just hopelessness and de- de- despair and depression. Maybe, maybe for you, it's like just the things that go on in the world bother you on a deep level. Maybe you see all of the events of the world and the things that go on and the way people talk about it, and it just bothers you at a deep level. Maybe there's just things that you, you, you struggle to get past, you know, something that for you is a hindrance or a hang-up in some way. And so you hear a story like the one that I, I shared at the beginning, or you see somebody who lives a life for Jesus in a way that you go, man, that's incredible, and you just think, I could never get there. And you know What? In those moments, I, I really believe the enemy of our soul lies to us and says, well, you're, you couldn't get there. Your life is different. You're, you're too weak. Your situation is different. It's too challenging. But you know that the, the, the Lord of our souls, Jesus, his voice is different. His voice speaks hope and truth and life. And Jesus came to, to not only save us, but to actually change our lives in the here and now. And I believe that there are steps that you and I can take, that, that we take our faith and we say, I'm not just going to have this like, faith that I kind of like, believe in my head and it doesn't have any impact on the way that I live, but I'm actually going to put it into practice. And that's what these disciplines are. It's like saying, I'm going to, you know what, like, when, when I commit to, to spending time in prayer or to studying or to confession or to celebration, or to meditation, like, I'm going to take a few minutes every day, and I'm actually going to put these disciplines to practice, like a farmer sowing seed, and then I'm just going to trust God to do something amazing with it, right? And if you're not a farmer, maybe that doesn't make as much sense to you, but just think about uh, the the job of a farmer every year that has to go out and sow seed, and then they go, and they sit in their house, and they're like, man, I hope that grows, because that's the only way I'm going to be able to pay my bills and take care of my family and do all the stuff like they can do all the you know the prep work and, and and getting ready but they can't cause a seed to grow they have to trust the elements ultimately they have to trust god and it's the same principle in our walk with jesus there is something that's required from us god does the heavy lifting god does the supernatural work he changes your heart in ways you can't possibly do but he does require from us to take some steps to actually put it into practice to actually say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take, and maybe for you it's like 10 minutes a day, God, I'm going I'm to invest into into prayer or to meditation or, or whatever it is, and I'm just going to like put myself before you, and then I'm going to trust you to do in my heart what I can't do on my own. I'm not saying, today I'm not asking you to walk out and, and do the impossible, whatever that hindrance is for you, whatever that challenge, whatever that obstacle. I'm not saying you go out and fix that. But my encouragement is that we as a community would say yes to to Jesus and start to put our faith to practice and then to trust God to do the life-changing work. This this is another quote. I think it's the next one up there, Jacob. We need not be well advanced in matters of theology to practice the disciplines. Recent converts, for that matter, people who have yet to turn their lives over to Jesus Christ, can and should practice them. The primary requirement is a longing after God. And so my question as we end today's sermon and then launch into this series is, do you have a longing after God? Like, is there something in you that you go, like, God, I just, I want what you have for me. Like, maybe you you hear those stories that I shared at the beginning, you go like, God, I actually wanna be the person you've created me to be. I don't wanna be a person who gives into bitterness. I don't wanna be a person who gives into laziness. I don't wanna be a person who gives into a lack of faith. Like, I wanna be somebody who, when I pray, there's this vibrancy, like, do you have that longing in your heart where you're like, you want to pray and know that God hears you with, like, more than just, like, you believe it because you're supposed to believe it, because you just know it in the depths of your being? Like, do you long to have that kind of prayer relationship with God? Because the scriptures say that that's possible. Like, when Paul said, in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul was telling his story because Paul, he was a moralist. He was this Pharisee. He was like steeped in, in the religion of, of, of the Jewish laws. And, and he, he had experienced this deadness. Like for him, it was mechanical. It was just, there wasn't anything to it. And then he died and Christ came to life in him and his life was transformed. And he went from being angry and bitter and controlling to loving and filled with grace and mercy and peace. Like something changed. And, and so when you hear that, like, is there a longing in you where you're like, yes, that's the like I want that kind of vibrant relationship with God. I want to know that when I'm praying, He hears me. I want to see answers to those prayers. I want to I want to sense uh, the presence of Jesus with me in and through the day. If that longing is there, then I would encourage you to, to uh, take steps towards God in practical ways in your life. In the next 12 weeks, uh, in the email every week, I'm going to send, like in the blurb uh, called Be a Berean, I always send out a little prep for what's coming up that following Sunday. And I'm going to encourage us with each of these 12 disciplines over the next 12 weeks to actually just practice them. And it could be a commitment of 10 minutes a day. So next week, uh, we're going to dive into meditation. And then we're going to dive into prayer and, and, and study, and we'll get to confession and celebration, all of them. And I just want to encourage you over these next 12 weeks, if this isn't something you've done, to just take a, a small portion of your day and to spend it with God and to experience um, these disciplines. But as you're doing it, think of yourself like this farmer that's like sowing the seed where you're like, you, you have no control over whether or not that seed grows up and becomes something beautiful, but you still have to do the work of sowing the seed and prepping the ground. And, and so just in your own life, look at it, look at these next few weeks as like this farmer that's like prepping the ground and sowing the seed. Like, God, I'm going to put myself into this position before you, and then I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do on my own. And so uh, this time, uh, I'm going to invite the team to come up. Uh, that is Matthew and Justin today. Sorry. And uh, I'm going to close with a prayer. I'm just going to read it slow, and you don't have to say this one out loud, um, but I just want to encourage you, if if you want to pray this with me, I'm, I'll, I'll say it slowly, and you can just pray along in your seat, uh, under your breath. And this is just a prayer, and it's old English, by the way, because it was written a couple hundred years ago. Uh, I thought about changing it into current, modern day, but I was like, I'll just keep it this way. There's a real power to it. But it's basically a prayer of saying, God, I want... Your will, not mine. Like, I'm I'm done doing things my way. I want your way, and I want your will, and I want your desire to be what guides and directs my life. And so that's kind of the content of it. And so I'm just going to read this prayer, and encourage you to um, pray this along with me if you want to. Uh, and, and then we're going to close with with a couple songs. And so let's just stand if you're able. Let's just stand together. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what... Yeah, we... let's just say it out loud together. We'll do that. All right. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full